0: welcome everyone to a special week of shows on the stacking i just fell over how how do i fall over just standing here
1: at the table with the microphone get the the fall risk on your apple watch activated
0: (laughs) apparently too much eggnog i guess Uh, too much bike eggnog this week speaking of that how's your holiday season going man
1: well, I'm here with you, so fantastic. <laughs> not as good as it could be. Couldn't be better.
0: We are reviewing our top episodes from 2022, some of the most interesting conversations we had this year, uh, and OG and I are starting off with our list of things that we wanted to get done this year. I did not run a marathon, but I know you accomplished a bunch from your 2022 list.
1: Uh, no, I didn't. I, I mean, the, the one that's hanging out still is I wanted to paddle boat across Lake Michigan just I just couldn't get out of the harbor it's 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 a bigger it's a bigger body of water than people think
0: is it have you ever seen Lake Michigan with people that have never been to it because I've been with now a few people that I brought up from Texas and they see Lake Michigan from the
1: for the first time
0: and it's always fun they're like oh oh
2: yeah
1: yeah well and I wanted to like pedal boat across it which I got some massive quads, but not that massive. Just yeah, gonna so. say, look
0: at those guns that you've got. You got those guns. You could just get paddling. The, like, the get leg moving. guns. No, you'll the, be...
1: the pedal. I got a pedal boat. Oh, pedal boat.
0: I thought you meant pedal yeah. boat.
1: You know, like the, oh, the, the ped- thing that they have at like Central Park where you're like,
0: Well, you know, it's gonna take two of you. It'll take it'll take you and Doug to get across Lake Michigan. But maybe Another that day. goes to twenty twenty three, that becomes a twenty twenty three goal. It, it, there's some chance. One thing we got done this year, though, OG, was this spring we spoke with Zoe Chance. She's a Yale professor who has the number one class on campus. In fact, they had to change the way that people get into her class because so many people wanted to get into it. So good stuff. Zoe came on to talk about what she is so very good at, which is using your influence. And OG, you know that a lot of Stacking Benjamins is influence about being able to communicate being able to influence other people. We heard a lot of that yesterday from Scott Galloway. Listen to how Professor Scott Galloway was able to communicate these ideas that he had in a very persuasive way. Zoe talks about the mechanics behind that, which I think we could all use some work on. So in our list of our top episodes of 2022, here's our episode that includes Yale Professor Zoe Chance.
3: So, faced with the question,
2: where did they go next with this podcast? The guys were recently joined by legendary musical genius Bruce Dickerson, who's agreed to be the new producer of the Stack and Benjamins show. They were all excited to meet him.
3: Hey, fellas. I'm Bruce Dickerson. Yes, the Bruce Dickerson. You have a dynamite sound. Fantastic sound. I have only one suggestion... (laughs) Mock cowbell live from joe's mom's basement it's the stacking benjamin show <laughs> I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and do you think you're a leader or a follower? Me? I mean, I think we can all agree I'm a bit of an influencer on this show. Take this note we got from stacker Tim last week. Whenever Doug talks, I feel a renewed sense of fondness for Joe and OG. See? Influence at work. Well, today, to talk about how you can affect the world around you, we welcome Yale professor and author of Influences Your Superpower, Zoe Chance. In our headlines, it turns out that living longer is a game changer, not just for you, but for your planning. We'll share some tips, and later, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Jenna, asking about spending HSAs. And of course, I'll also share my influencer-themed trivia. And now, two guys who are ready to influence you into a bank of stacked Benjamins, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G!
0: Welcome to Wednesday, it's Influencer Wednesday here in the basement Means uh, Doug's got the spotlight on him, but we're about to shine the spotlight on all of you Number one, because you're halfway through your week And number two, we get to hang out with you, which is absolutely awesome And uh, most awesome, bringing his awesomeness down to the basement To help you feel the second half of your week, it's Mr. OG
1: kind of ornery today, just so you know (laughs)
3: It's different then. Alex, I'll take things that don't need to be said for 400.
1: (laughs) Yeah, more.
0: You can't be ornery today because we have Yale professor Zoe Chance here talking about using your influence. And if you could use it for good, OG, like imagine the beautiful things that would happen. Butterflies and skipping down the
1: street and rainbows. I'm trying to stay off of TikTok. Like, not... Physically, but like one of those videos where you turn around and you, you see the person and you go, are you recording me? You can't be recording. Like, I'm trying not to be that person. <laughs> That's my goal in life right now. And,
3: which means, Doug, our goal is to make him that oh, yeah. person. Oh, If he's in snap mode, we need to get him to snap like a dry December twig. <laughs> it's, it's, it's <laughs> and
0: you thought Oakland Hills going up in flames was bad. <laughs> that golf club in Detroit that last week sadly, Too soon. Yes, is it too soon? know. Yes. Uh, what a great show we got. We got OGB and Surly. We've got Zoe Chance here, who's just amazing. Can't wait for you to hear her. I'm sure she's got a lot of great techniques to help you exert more influence. But first, this episode sponsored by State Farm. You, a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget, well, look no further than State Farm. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread you'll never picture your money in the same way again betterment the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle visit betterment.com to get started investing involves risk performance is not guaranteed all right let's get this party started
2: hello darlings and now it's time for your favorite part of the show our stacking benjamin's headlines
0: our headline today comes to us from investment news. Uh, Mary Beth Franklin does their podcast. Oh, gee, Mary Beth, who's been writing about uh, money for a long time. She's just such a such a smart person. And if you're at all interested in finance from a financial planner point of view, retirement repair shop with Mary Beth Franklin is good. But oh, gee, she has an interview a couple of weeks ago on her show about longevity. And about how longevity is a game changer when it comes to retirement planning. She says, in the U.S., the average retirement length is tripled since 1935 from seven years to about 22 years. And for retirees, there's ample time and opportunity to launch a new chapter of their life, she said. But extra care now has to be taken with their finances. And I think that the average person out there doesn't think about this, about longevity, total game changer and the game that our average listener is going to play with their retirement planning is going to be totally different, even than people retiring right now.
1: Right. Well, and <laughs> my way of thinking about this is, Oh, thank God I'm going to live to be 140. I don't have to start saving yet. Right. <laughs> That's my longevity play. The procrastinator's like I spend all dream. of this right now because I'll start saving when I'm 70 because I'll still have 70 years to go. But, from a planning standpoint, this is a pretty big deal. I mean, most financial planners, I suspect anyway, although maybe this isn't true, have migrated from using ninety and ninety two as kind of the average lifespan of a client to closer to a hundred and I think I think it's pretty prudent to consider even a bigger number, like one ten or one twenty at this stage it's not only that longevity is increasing, but the rate of its increase is increasing, which is...
0: What do you mean by that? Very meta. Velocity.
1: Like, yeah. I mean, the curve is changing. It's not just going up, it's exponentially going up. You know, we're we're figuring out ways to cure disease at an ever-increasing rate. That's the major issue with longevity is staving off that. So if we can solve those problems, and we're solving those problems at a faster and faster clip than we ever have. So... So longevity is going to be more of an issue, but this changes a couple of things. Like you said, it changes the length of retirement, which means you can't be thinking, Hey, my retirement's going to be 10 or 15 years because that's what grandpa was or seven years, like in the thirties, like you quoted there, which means that you have to have longer and longer investments in your portfolio. But it also means you have to have more and more money saved because you're going to be in retirement for a much longer period than you're going to be working in some cases.
0: So if somebody retiring today, I talked about the average age of our, of our person listening versus somebody retiring today, but let's talk about somebody retiring today versus their grandparents. It seems to me then based on what you're saying, the penalty for getting out of stocks or real estate too soon is much, much bigger if that velocity is increasing, OG.
1: Well, I mean, think of it this way. If you retire at 65 and you're a average American couple with that's a non-smoking couple, one of you will probably live 25 to 30 years. So why would you have the vast majority of your money in investments that aren't with a 25 or 30-year time horizon? You know, and that's what happens in those target date funds. And that's kind of like still a little bit of the mentality of like, well, I'm 50, so I should have 50% of my money in fixed income, or I'm 60, I should have 60% of my money in fixed income. I mean, that's going to explode your plan. It's, it's There's no way that a fixed income portfolio can sustain a lifetime sustaining income.
0: And even as you're saying this, I mean, you know, we talk about dangerous advice all the time on the show. We kind of point people toward this is dangerous. I mean, we're at the point now where if you're going to live 30 years into retirement, having 60% of your money in fixed income at 60 isn't conservative, O.G., I think it's based
1: on what you're saying it for a lot of people that's dangerous like that is dangerous advice it's tragic it's not yeah it's certain death is what it is because I mean think of it this way you're 30 and you plan on retiring at 60 and people say well I've got a 30 year time horizon I'm going to be pretty aggressive you know Oh, why Why would that change if you're 60? You still have a 30-year time horizon. I would argue when you're 60, you have a, probably close to a 70-year time horizon or 80. I mean, just take today, right? Inflation the way it is, which is higher than normal, interest rates lower than normal. How are you going to take fixed money, earn an interest rate on it, and be able to buy the same amount of groceries next year? It's just not even possible. You know, your CD's getting half a percent or one, your government bonds, you lend money to the government for 10 years, you get one and some change percent. And yet the price of cheeseburgers went up 70% last year. How can you compete with that? You have to have a portfolio that is designed to have an ever-increasing income stream. That's the only way.
0: Yeah. You think you're being safe and you're safely losing purchasing power, which is just ugly. Financial Advisor Magazine recently had a piece that I want to get your opinion on that's based on this. OG. Oh, Jennifer Lee Reed uh, wrote this. Is your client, and once again, Financial Advisor Magazine, written for financial advisors. Is your client a decumulator or a retirement incomer? They write, there's a big difference between retirement income and decumulation. And planners who can effectively explain that difference will have much more productive conversations with their clients. As Moshe Milvesky, finance professor and author of The Seven Most Important Equations for Retirement. In a session at the Investments and Wealth Institute's annual forum in Tampa two weeks ago, Milveski emphasized that since the financial risks are different in these two scenarios, the language needs to be explained as well. So here's, here's the deal. A decumulator is somebody who's very interested in, or maybe not interested in, but they're comfortable with spending down their pile of money. Right. And a retirement incomer is somebody that never wants to spend the pile of money, just wants to have it create a stream of income that they can continually live off of. They make a big deal of this in this piece.
1: Is is there really a big deal between those two camps of people? I don't see why you would want to be a de-accumulator ever in your life. You know, you get to retirement at whatever age, 65, and you've got three million bucks in the bank, and you're doing the 4% deal, right? You're taking 10 grand a month out plus inflation. Why would you try to time that to be like and then I'm dead and all my money's gone. <laughs> what what sense does that make? I mean, it, you may be blessed with a 40-year time horizon or you may get hit by the bus on the way to get your first uh, pension check or social security check out of the mailbox, you know? I mean, how can you plan on trying to hit zero at a certain time? And then, beyond that, just the foolishness of you have three million dollars in this exam, whatever number you have, why would you not want that to grow to six million and twelve million and twenty five million and so on and so forth, the impact that you can have to whatever is important to you besides you, you know some people think that you should give all your money away, some people think you should keep it all and give it to your kids. I mean, who knows but trying to purposefully run out of money just as ass backwards to me. I can't understand. Well, this is where that idea of
0: thinking bigger, right? Comes in because you, you meet people, I meet people and they're like, yeah, I'm going to be okay. And then I don't know my thought process is, and not to put any stank on somebody else's goal, but are you thinking big enough? If, if your only worry is, am I going to be okay? Yeah.
1: Why would you get to that line? Right. <laughs> I've done, I've done all this work. I've saved all this money and I've done all this, you know, restriction in my life so that I can be at this spot and now my goal is to have it run out.
0: <laughs> like, is, how do I is,
1: effectively it, die with zero dollars? <laughs> last penny, last breath. It's like, shut up.
0: Well, Pete Adney, a.k.a. Mr. Money Mustache. Mr. Money Mustache says, oh, gee, that this idea of decumulator, right? And this fear running out of money, he says is way overplayed. He said, because no matter how much money you have, you will not run out of money. Because you just, nobody's dumb enough to spend it all. Like you will change your lifestyle because of the fact that you're not going to, you just won't.
1: 100%.
0: So this idea that you're going to spend every every last nickel is a ridiculous idea anyway.
1: Well, you may not spend every last nickel, but you'll get darn close. I mean, that kind of answers the other side of the question of why would you purposefully draw down your portfolio to approach the situation in which you must actually make a change to your life? Like, what kind of nonsense does that make? Like, I want to live a great life of just until I'm about 87, and then I really want to cut back, you know, kind of. <laughs>
0: and I want to worry yeah, every day. every day
1: I'm going to really pinch my pennies. It's like, we had th- <laughs> three million bucks, you dummy. You know, how did you blow it? All you had to do was just set this up as a, as a different idea, a different mindset, and, and you would have been likely to be more successful but i agree with that you don't people don't if you
0: hadn't bet the pot on those pocket rockets back in vegas when i was 84 things would have been fine harold
1: you know sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you don't but the (laughs) but this is true on the other side of it too you know when you look at retirement planning projections and i talk to clients about this you know you run out those projections like when you're 78 years old you're gonna have 14 million dollars no you won't (laughs) because you're gonna change your lifestyle there too But that's my point. Like, you're just going to adapt to what's going on. And why would you want to adapt to the negative side? Like, that just, to me, seems like a crappy payoff for 50 years of trying to put it all together.
0: Circle in the wagons back to where we started, though. This idea of longevity. Man, if you're not worried about longevity and thinking about the risk of living a long time, you might need to rethink your plan. There's a lot of planning is changing all the time, OG, because of longevity.
1: Which is good. I want I want to live longer. Doug doesn't want to. I told Doug I was going to live to be 140. He was like, why? Yeah. Because I've got 9,000 more podcasts to record, damn it.
0: <laughs> more does not equal better, right? More does not equal
1: better. It's quality, not quantity. I, I want 139 and a half of those years to be pretty quality.
3: Yeah. You can get into some pretty esoteric discussions about what else in your life changes when you're when you're that old? Forget about the health aspects of it. We won't have to go there. It's the wrong podcast for that. But I still stick by my. Why would you want to?
1: I got stuff to do. Well, I'll tell you what I want to do. Also, I don't. I can't save enough money between now and ninety. <laughs> I need more time.
0: Og's <laughs> oh, financial plan is I'm retiring at ninety three. I got a tip for you, Og. Stop buying small countries.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next, Zoe Chance, the woman with the best name, Zoe Chance. Like, can I get that name? It's incredible. She is not only a Yale Isn't professor. is she like a, a secret agent for somebody? She's got to be. Yeah. With that name? Yes. We're in all black. Yeah. Yes. When she's not working as 007, she teaches a popular elective called Mastering Influence and Persuasion at Yale. Today, she's here because I'll tell you, when it comes to managing money, being able to exert some influence and have more money or be able to be a better negotiator, whether it's negotiating a raise, negotiating a price, negotiating for just a better life, being more charismatic. Zoe Chance is all about those things. We're going to dive in with her in just a moment. But before we get there, I think, uh, Doug, you're going to give us a lesson on becoming an influencer, right? Yeah, I know
3: exactly how to do this stuff. I've been doing it for years. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. I was just upstairs talking with upcoming guest Zoe Chance about how tough all this influencer stuff is. Now that I'm a big-time star on a big-time personal finance show, Grant Cardone says I should 10x this, and Tim Ferriss thinks I should turn into a human guinea pig, and Gary Vee tells me I should work all night and never go party at the Jersey Shore. For advice, I think I'll look to the uber-influencer himself, Dale Carnegie. Did you know he actually stumbled into being an inspirational speaker and author of How to Win Friends and Influence People after failing in a certain profession? It's a profession that many young people move to a particular place to pursue and only a handful become successful in. So my question is, what was Dale Carnegie's original professional dream? I'll be back with the answer right after I take a photo here in my private jet. Well, not really my jet. I'm I'm gonna tie Lopez this thing and pretend I own a jet that's really it's just there next to me. Well,
0: you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. Navy Federal's insured by NCUA, equalizing lender. Well, if you're new to stacking benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things, so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money, and it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance app. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash benjamins. Well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial.
3: Hey there, stackers. I'm private jet photoshopper and global influencer. Wait, wait. finfluencer? Yeah. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Dale Carnegie grew up in poverty, but somehow managed to save up $500 to move to New York in 1911 to pursue his dream. Was it a TikTok influencer or Instagram bikini model? Nope. What profession did Dale Carnegie want to be? Dale wanted to be an actor. Sadly, this failure simply had to go on and write one of the best-selling books of all time, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And as that old guy on the radio used to say, now you know the rest of the story. And now to help us do just that, let's say hello to Yale professor Zoe Chance. And here she
0: comes, coming down to the basement to talk about using your influence. My new friend
2: Zoe Chance, how are you? Joe, it's great. Your mom and I were just talking about childhood stories and I heard all the embarrassing things about, you know, when you were five and you went to school without your pants and all about. Why do parents always open with that?
0: Why do they seriously? Why do parents always open with the embarrassing stuff? They can't tell the good stories. It's always the oh, no, no, no. Look at this. This is a picture of him naked in the tub at three.
2: Yeah, you tortured your mom for all those years and now she's getting back at you.
0: Okay, but I gotta tell you, that's not the elephant in this room. There's a much bigger elephant in this room, Zoe, which is how'd you get the most badass name of all time? Like, really? Zoe Chance? Like, how did that happen? Thank you.
2: I will tell my mom. She will be so excited that you said that. Chance is her last name. So she wanted to keep it and she gave it to me, her daughter, and I gave it to my daughter. And my mom actually had for my first name, a name the baby contest and you can keep it. And my aunt, her sister-in-law submitted the name Zoe. I think her sister-in-law was 12 at the time. And my mom was like, okay, we'll name her Zoe. But no, you can't keep her. You're only 12. So that's my name. So that that worked
0: out for everybody. Speaking about being 12, you make a big point in this book about childhood and about how you you were a great negotiator when you were a child. You had so much influence as a child, and we kind of grow out of that. Talk about the power of going back to childhood for a moment.
2: Yeah, and by you having all of that influence, not you, like Joe talking to me, but you, like you listening right now, you... Did have so much influence. And if you're a parent, then you know your kids have so much influence over you. And if you if your kids are over three by now, you've seen the wheeling and dealing that happens, all of this negotiating. Like they're like these teeny merchants in a bazaar selling carpets or something. Influence comes so naturally when we're children and we have no shame about advocating for ourselves, expressing our needs and desires. And we approach the world with the joyful expectation that there are people who want us to be happy and help our needs be met. And then what happens at some point during our older childhood, like getting into junior high and high school, is parents and teachers start... I don't think it's on purpose, but training us to be, air quotes, good, to have good student habits and to play nice. And what they're really teaching us how to do is to play small. We are supposed to just work hard, wait to be recognized, to get that gold star, good grade. But then we carry those habits into adulthood and into the workplace where nobody's waiting to reward us for our good performance. And we've lost practice with actually advocating for ourselves and for our great ideas and the big causes that we believe in. So that's why I wrote this book.
0: It's funny, there's real power in being five. Like I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to be a president or a firefighter. And then there was a part of my career, Zoe, where I was working for American Express and I was hoping for a 6% raise versus versus 4%. Like you're totally right on thinking small. We think way too small.
2: We set way too small goals for ourselves. And I talk to so many people who are just really jazzed that they're nailing all of their goals and their jaw drops when I say, Well, so you mean you're a failure? What I really mean is if you're meeting all of your goals, that's a clear sign that you're playing small for yourself. As you go down the path of influence, you're expanding your influence and your power because influence is really power. So you get to set higher and higher goals for yourself or your team and you should be missing some of those. That's the cue that you're actually playing big.
0: Are there some of those things that we knew when we were five or seven that we've forgotten then and we need to retrain ourselves on besides playing bigger? There's so much wisdom that we know as kids
2: and we lose it. One of the things kids really do a good job of a lot of kids is conflict resolution and still being friends afterwards with kids who they have a fight or a disagreement with kids are so much better at this than adults so one of the topics that i write about at length in a whole chapter on resistance and then a half chapter i have all these half chapters yeah sprinkled through. Yeah. because like you joe entertaining yourself with this podcast i entertain myself with writing the book. Like <laughs> i'm my target audience <laughs> And I write about handling resistance because adults kind of suck at it. We take it so personally when someone disagrees with us. And unlike kids who can be much better listeners, we are typically, especially in a disagreement, just listening to wait until we have an opportunity to make our case. We're formulating our arguments. And and then, you know, we're unfriending each other and blocking each other sacrificing a lot of relationships and potential relationships just because we have these disagreements. Oh, that makes we're going influence.
1: Well,
0: that makes me so sad because I feel like social media in a lot of ways is driving us apart more than it's bringing us together and, and, you know, algorithms are making it so that I see people that agree with me 97% of the time. So when I get somebody that disagrees, instead of having a wonderful conversation about this texture, I'm much more likely to go screw you. What I love, by the way, one, there's so many techniques that, that you have. And we'll talk about techniques here in a second. Cause I don't think, I don't think your book is about techniques. I think it's much more about mindset, but one technique that a five-year-old totally uses is something you call the, uh, what is, is it? The kind brontosaur, the... the yeah, the, the kindly brontosaurus. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Tell me about that one, because this is a fantastic technique, where to your point, you know, you're, you're in a conflict, and you address it in a way that we're all still going to be happy. No matter what happens, everybody's going to be fine, but you probably will get your way if you use this technique.
2: Yeah, and you see, it's not a book about techniques. It's not just a book about techniques, but there are bunches of practical techniques in here. Sure. Because I don't want anyone to come away just being more knowledgeable about influence. That would be a failure on my part. I want you to actually be equipped to put ideas and tools into actions. And my goal is that you become more influential.
0: Yeah. And let me address that before you get to the Brontosaurus part, because what I really meant by that, and I'm glad that you said that, is that the techniques that you share have a foundation. That's much less about a transaction and much more about a way of thinking and addressing these issues. And in fact, I'm gonna table the brontosaurus question, because I actually have a clip that I think makes this clear what we're talking about. You know, when it comes to relationships and negotiating and using your influence, I think we think of dating, right? I mean, a lot of people think that, and I, a lot. yeah, and that is so, can be so uncomfortable for people. There was this movie out a while ago called Hitch. Stars uh, Eva Mendes and uh, Will Smith. And this is a scene from this movie where Will Smith sees her sitting alone. He's bringing two drinks over to Eva Mendez to introduce himself. He finds out, by the way, ahead of time, and this is a good thing, he does a little research, he finds out what drinks she likes. He gets two of them, and he's on his way over to her when he sees this other guy who comes over. And this is the transactional approach that this, uh, that this guy uses. Let's listen into to a little bit from Hitch. Hi. I noticed your glass was getting a little low, so I took the liberty of bringing you another apple martini. Thank you. And I couldn't help but notice, you look a lot like my next girlfriend.
2: What's your name?
0: They call me Chip.
2: Ah, you can't get him to stop? (laughs)
3: That was funny. Listen, Chip, I I understand the courage it takes to walk across a room and try to generate a relationship out of thin air, so don't take the following personally. You
1: have fantastic eyes.
3: (laughs) Thanks. Try to listen. But this is no reflection on you. I'm just not interested. But thank you for the compliment of coming over.
1: You're welcome. So do you like Cuban food?
3: Chip... Seriously, that was not
0: code for... Ch- Chip won't quit, Zoe. Chip is uh, what we refer to in the business is highly annoying and not a, not a listener. <laughs> the technical term. Yeah, that's right. And, and you make it clear at the beginning. Chip is obviously after a transactional relationship, right? And you say very early in the book that the second you stop thinking in terms of transactions and much more around these bedrock foundational ideas, you're going to be much more influential.
2: Absolutely. I feel bad for all of the men on Earth who approach women like Chip does. And I don't even know that they're all looking for transactional relationships. I think it happens a lot that what we would really like, especially if what we're talking about is a relationship, like it would be even better if we could have a relationship. It just doesn't occur to us that an actual relationship might even be on the table, whether we're talking about romance or whether we're talking about something as simple as making a purchase or selling something. We can focus on the short-term transaction when really, like, we would rather have some kind of long-term collaboration. But anyway, Chip obviously sucks, and Eva Mendes was so freaking graceful in that scene.
0: Well, I felt like getting back to the, the friendly brontosaurus or the gentle brontosaurus, like, she was using this approach we're about to talk about. I mean, she was very... There might be a middle ground here, Chip, and we might be going a little too far.
2: So she was being warm and direct, and that's why she was so compelling. This is something that's so much more important for women than for men, but it's very helpful for all of us. Women, when they're not expressing warmth, can very easily get tagged with all of these gender-specific B words. Oh, um, yeah. You know, like bossy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Women who are not warm get hated. And a lot of us, not just women, don't understand that we can have clear boundaries and express warmth at the same time. So does Eva owe Chip anything in that scene or in life? No, except that we're all humans and we really don't have a reason to insult each other. And it really was a compliment, right? That he's coming over her and very clumsily asking for her attention. So she's saying, definitely not going to happen, Chip. And she's complimenting him. She's saying, I understand the courage that it took. And she's saying, thank you for the compliment, but she is 100% clear, even though he doesn't get it immediately. She's 100% clear that she's absolutely not interested, but she's doing this in a kind way. And I'm, don't think of kindly brontosaurus, that technique, usually in yeah. the context of saying no. I usually think of it in the context of asking for something. Yeah. Yeah. So the kindly brontosaurus technique that I write about in the book, and this is one of my students' favorite techniques, by the way, for listeners who don't know, I'm a professor at Yale and I teach the most popular class at Yale School of Management. It's called Mastering Influence and Persuasion. Everyone wants to learn how to become more influential. And a lot of us really are much more like Chuck than like Eva Mendes when we're going and we're asking for what we want or we're letting people know what we don't want. We're very clumsy at it. The kindly brontosaurus technique is a favorite because it's so easy and what it takes is almost nothing. What it takes is just putting your desires out there and then staying in view like a large, kindly optimistic dinosaur. So in the book, I write about an example of you want to get an upgrade on a flight. Now we all know there's not a lot of free upgrades that are happening these days, but when they do happen, they happen to people who are nice and who stay in view. And so that can be physically actually staying in the view of the flight attendant, but this can also be metaphorical. And I mentioned the example of a student of mine, Tiago, who's one of those people that you just want to say yes to. So Tiago is graduating with a post-MBA job where you do not get a company car when you've just graduated from business school, but he asks for a company car and they want to say yes to him. And initially they do. They're like, sure, Tiago, we would love to do that for you. But then they, you know, run it up the poll and find out that no, they're not allowed to because there's a policy against it. And this is a large company. So they come back and they say, sorry, Tiago, actually, we can't give you the company car. Then the kindly Brontosaurus kicks in and Tiago optimistically remains in view. And he's like, okay, I understand. Well, yeah. So I hope that you'll be able to work something out, but you know, I understand. And as a kindly Brontosaurus, you can check and ask permission so that you know, you're not annoying them. And is it okay if I check back with you about it? And they're like, sure. But Tiago, like, it's really not going to and He's like, okay, well, I have faith. I have faith in you guys that it might. And they're like, ah, so he checks back with them the next month. And they're like, no, Tiago, there's this policy. And I'm sorry, I wanted to give you the car. We want you to come so badly. And we want you to be happy, but we really can't do it. He's like, I understand. But you know, like sometimes there are exceptions to policies. And I know that if there's any chance of this happening, that you will actually be able to make it happen. And, and, and so he checks back a couple more times. And before graduation, Tiago is the very first junior manager in the history of this very large company to get a company car. <laughs> the kindly Brontosaurus is persistent, gentle optimism. That's all it is.
0: I absolutely love that story, that his general attitude, I think you can find a way. I'm sure you can, find. I'm sure you can find a way.
2: Yeah. yeah. And he's like, I like, I can't be sure, but I have faith. This like, (laughs) I have faith in you is so motivating on the other side. And you want to make Tiago happy. You don't want to disappoint Tiago, but he's so kind about it that, you know, he's going to like you just as much, even if you can't come through as if you do, he'll be more excited if you do, but he's, there's no leverage. There's no threat. There's just hope. And there's so we ma- underestimate the influence of hope. Well, and there's so many, there's so many lessons
0: that lead up to this. A very basic lesson, I think, that begins this whole domino effect is this idea of no, right? About we're afraid of no. You tell a personal story about how you were doing door-to-door sales and had the first person that politely listened to you and shut the door in your face and you're like, I'm still alive. Like things are things are good. I'm still living. But there's this hallelujah, but you talk long about this power of no, and even us learning to be comfortable with no is really a good part about exerting our influence.
2: Yeah, it's really weird to start a book about becoming more influential with (laughs) saying no. And that's how I start my class as well. Our very first challenge that we do is 24 hours of no. So everyone listening to the show, I challenge you if you feel like it. To have 24 hours, the next 24 hours of saying no to every single person who asks you for something, whether it's big or small, professional, personal, you want to say yes, or you're so relieved to say no. The truth is that almost all of us are people pleasers, but a lot of us don't realize that. And this is something that I've learned from reading the secret journals of my students that they keep for class, hundreds of journals over the past decades. And also from talking with students and executives about their experience with the no challenge. Most of us don't know how hard it is to say no until we try it. And then we're like, "Uh," because we're really nice and we're afraid of rejection. We know that it can be painful to be rejected and we don't want to cause that pain for other people. So a couple of caveats, though, with the no challenge. First of all, don't ruin your life. So if you get that dream job, don't be like, nah. Or if your sweetie proposes to you, don't be like, I don't think so. No. (laughs) Take care of yourself. You're the boss of your life. Secondly, you have the right in this challenge, just like every person in all of life has to change your mind. You have the right to change your mind, but experience what it feels like to say no and what it feels like to experience the other person's reaction to your saying no. And then anytime between then and the rest of your life, you can change your mind if you want, and they will be delighted. Don't say no repeatedly to the same person over 24 hours, like your sweetie, your kid, your roommate, that's going to suck for them. And it's not going to teach you more than the first time that you said no to them. So it's one no to each person for the next 24 hours.
0: Well, no, and I love that. We were having this conversation earlier today, Zoe. This wasn't even a road I planned to go down, which is part of why I like doing interviews, because I have no idea where where the discussion is going to go. We are talking this earlier, the frustration that we have now around ghosting in our culture because this has become very accepted because we don't want to tell people no. So what do we do? We ghost them and I'm in the middle of planning this 40 city book tour and I've got some people that I'm sure ghosting me and I'm asking them, please just tell me no, because then I can move on. But no is so, so damn hard. It's
2: so hard and it's so important and it is... So powerful and magical. I, I feel strongly about ghosting also. And I actually wrote something, um, I don't know, on Medium or LinkedIn or something earlier this year about ghosting. We don't realize how much pain we're causing by ghosting, not just the pain of feeling rejected, but it's the pain of uncertainty and the amount of mental bandwidth that that takes up, which is exactly what you're talking about, Joel. Like, just say no, but don't leave me in limbo so that this piece of my attention is being hijacked by the uncertainty of knowing. There are, though, situations where ghosting is the best idea, partly because it can be more polite. Like, let's say you're on a dating app, and people expressing interest, you don't need to say no, thank you to each person that you don't have an interest in. You can just ignore them. And that's expected and perfectly polite. It's not better to be like, yeah, no, well, thank you, but I'm no, (laughs) you get it. But also there are situations where I find myself politely saying no. And then I wish that I hadn't, because let's say it's like strangers reach out to me to ask for advice. I used to respond to those where it, I don't mind people reaching out to ask ask me for advice, but I almost never would say yes because I'm a really freaking busy person. So I used to say, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you for asking. Good job asking. I encourage people to ask. Anybody can ask for anything. But unfortunately, I'm just too busy for that. Almost like but- the Eva
0: Mendez, like being very polite to this guy. He won't stop. <laughs>
2: Yes. And if you give people any reason at all for why you're saying no, or if you've just given them this connection, you've closed the loop and made a connection in this relationship that now exists, it's also an invitation for them to follow up. And so I got so many follow ups like, oh, I understand you're busy now, but how about next week? How about next month? And actually, I meant like, no, I'm too busy for the rest of my life. <laughs> but also, you know, other people will yep. respond back and say, well, how about this other request? Or no, but you don't understand. Let me explain more. Or they'll just keep keep asking and keep asking. So I don't think that you'll go to hell for ghosting people. But I think that if somebody is making some kind of reasonable request, and especially like Joe's request saying, hey, i Sent this to you earlier, it probably doesn't work out, but I'm just trying to figure out my calendar. Would you mind just giving me a quick no Yeah. if that's how you feel? You're making the other person feel comfortable saying no. And then they realize, like, you're not trying to pressure them. You're just trying to organize your book tour. Yeah, to move. Like, should I come to your city or not come to your city? With...
0: With one bookstore, the person kept talking around the bush and I just said, I finally Zoe, had to say, please tell me no, just tell me no, because no is a fine answer and I just have to move like I'm, I'm on a deadline. So no is great, yeah. but I would prefer to do what I said was I would prefer to do business with you, but no is perfectly acceptable. So please just say no, you know, that's fine. And actually then they came back and said yes, because I was a very friendly brontosaurus.
2: Yeah. You know what is so weird and so cool. So I'm glad that you said that. And yes, you absolutely were. Um, <laughs> This weird thing happens when we're asking for things that if we make it comfortable for the other person to say no, we're withdrawing any kind of pressure. And because we withdraw the pressure, they withdraw resistance. And so if they have any inclination to say yes, they're more likely to say yes when we make it comfortable for them to say no. And that's a big part of the magic that happens when you practice saying no You get more comfortable with other people saying no to you. And so you're removing the pressure and make it more likely that they say yes.
0: I want to touch on something when you write about charisma, which is a big paradox of charisma is the more you want it, the less you're going to have. Can you talk about that for a moment? (laughs) Because I think that's really what you're talking about here. The more I apply pressure, the more you're going to back away.
2: And I've never connected those neurons in my own brain. but absolutely. First of all, if you want to be charismatic and I don't, do you want to be more charismatic, Joe?
0: Sometimes I think no, but but generally, yes, most people do. I mean, we definitely do. Most of us do. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Even if we have mixed feelings about the power that some charismatic people have, right. It can be very dark. Yeah.
0: And can I say one more thing? You also draw this line too, where there's parts in my life where I'm very charismatic and there's other places where I'm not. And there are some parts of my life, like sometimes with my group of friends at game night, I wish I was a little more charismatic because we're playing a negotiating game and I can't win because my buddy Troy is more charismatic than I am. So people (laughs) are doing deals with him and they're not doing deals with me. So it's not this
2: overarching thing you point out. So yes. Yes. To the idea that it shouldn't be the goal to be charismatic all the time. Being charismatic involves people's riveted attention on you and It's not cool to be trying to have people's riveted attention on you all the time, but it's helpful in a lot of situations to have more of that. And also the feeling of being in the presence of a charismatic individual is generally pleasurable. So even though it is a self-focused thing, it's not necessarily a greedy kind of thing to look for this because it feels good for other people. So what does it mean to be charismatic so people pay attention to you? But what I mean when I say if you're trying to be charismatic, you fail, is that if you're just trying to be the center of attention, you're probably acting like a jackass. You're probably stepping into the limelight and doing this in a self-focused sort of look at me kind of way, right? And that's exactly the opposite of what makes people pay attention to you in that riveted sort of way. It's what makes people pay attention to you in that car accident sort of way. That's not the riveted attention that you want. And so the second paradox of charisma is that to the secret of getting attention is giving your attention. And this is how we receive other people's riveted attention is when we focus attention on them. And then the third paradox of attention is that to connect with many people, you do this by connecting one by one. And it's not just the other individual who you're focused on, maybe even making eye contact with, but other people who are in the room or, you know, even potentially watching you on a screen see that connection you have with someone else and they feel it vicariously. And I tell a story of when I went to a Prince concert. I love Prince. I'm a huge fan. This was my first time. I've been dying to see him. He steps on the stage and I'm sure that he looks directly into my eyes. Of course. His first line is something, he does, I'm sure of it, Joe. His first line is something like, are we alone and i feel this like ah! and i turn to my friend and i said like oh my god i think i'm going to faint but then the stranger on the other side of me literally falls down in a dead faint collapsed on the floor and the emts come in and they load her onto a stretcher and i say to the emt oh my god has that ever happened before and he says it's not unusual prince has such a power of charisma had tragically, had such a power of charisma that from this electric connection, it's so powerful that people go unconscious. But he wasn't born that way. And he so wasn't born that way that, in fact, he sucked as a performer, even when he was a great musician. And Warner Brothers, when they had signed him, to be on their label and he had a number one hit single, I Want to Be Your Lover, top of the Billboard charts, but they refused to let him go on tour because he sucked so much as a performer because he was scared and small and he would turn his back to the audience and he couldn't speak above a whisper when he was talking to the audience. Rick James invites him to be his opening act on the Super Freak tour and Prince starts learning and practicing some of the tools and techniques of Charisma. Until by the end of the tour, according to Rick James, Rick James himself is jealous of the charisma that Prince is developing.
0: And I love how you parlay these into some great tips on public speaking in the book about thanking very sincerely the person introducing you, eye contact, making sure you spend a little bit of time. Because the whole audience is seeing you give attention to this one person and then turn your attention to the audience and make sure that you're giving them full attention before you start speaking and it just builds this power it reminded me of an older book that i read zoe called lions don't need to roar which is fantastic about that one specific instance that echoes that same thing where you step out on stage nobody can hear your heartbeat All they see is what's in front of them. You can feel your heartbeat a thousand miles an hour, but it actually makes you feel stronger, makes the audience believe you more if you just go one, two, three with your body facing directly toward them and get everybody's attention at a time. She also talked about, by the way, non-influential people and non-influential people do the exact opposite. They're already talking while they're still moving. They're coming out, they're going, hey, I just got a few things I want to say. And, and then immediately you convey this idea that you have no influence. <laughs> you are, you're just in a hurry and you're mousy and you want to get away from people. And we all feel that when we go speak publicly. But man, your points on public speaking can make such a big impact if you need to uh, get in front of a room.
2: Super. Thank you. And some influential people do this, like people who have a lot of power, right? Like CEOs and wealthy people and thought leaders and stuff like that. A lot of those people are not charismatic, but that behavior that you just described of just like bumbling your way onto the stage and hi, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. That's anti-charisma. Yeah. So,
0: Well, and some of the other things, like you talk about lowering your voice, People want to be noticed so they raise their voice and the power of just lowering your voice and slowing it down. just
2: Your natural low register, yeah.
0: Zoe, I've got so much more stuff, but I'm going to lead people to the book where all the rest of the stuff is now. Influences Your Superpower, it is out now, and I'm assuming it's available everywhere, right?
2: It's available everywhere! Bottom of the ocean, (laughs) Mars, (laughs) Elon Musk, my buddy sending it out there. And what I'll say is, The way that I've tried to write this book is to teach you influence in the way that you would be happy to be influenced yourself. So that's something that sets it apart from other books on this is how to get what you want from people. Like this is actually a book that I think that you would be happy for your boss to read or for your employees to read or for your partner to read or like even your kids, God forbid, they have so much influence over you already. But this is their influence techniques that feel good on both sides. So there's nothing smart in me in here.
0: No, and I absolutely, as a guy that just finished reading it, I think that if we all followed a lot of the guidelines that you lay out in this book, it would just, the world would be such a friendlier place. So we oh, thank it's you. such a <laughs> friendlier, place. Well, I, I can't figure out why your course is so popular on campus because it was a total chore talking to you. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for spending time hanging out with us.
2: It was unpleasant for me too, Joe. (laughs) My new friend, not just your mom. You are as fun as she said.
0: Look at my face; is all turning red.
1: This is Daryl from Pennsylvania. When I'm not busy arguing with a four-year-old, I'm stacking Benjamins.
2: No, Daddy.
0: Big thanks to Zoe Chance for stopping by. I love those contradictions, OG. If you want to spread influence to a lot of people. Focus on one person. It's a person by person. Be interested in one person. Hey, how many hey, times? You let's been... uh, throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of <laughs> life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life
3: Insurance Agency, Doug, they put what you value first. Hold on. You got no idea? I, no, I've got it. I just didn't have my my dock up. All right. You just wrote them down. He's got them in a spreadsheet. All the things. Of course I have them in a spreadsheet. There's quantifiable <laughs> metrics for each one of them based on audience response. I mean, it's, it's a science, Joe. He's got it down. No! Doug- That's the only audio button OG has. I didn't do it. He didn't do it. I did that one. That oh, was Joe. Okay.
0: How all right. about
3: that? Uh, let's see okay so hit me up again with things you value most what are the two things you value most two things i might have more than two things here's the top of my head just a a random thought that comes to me without even thinking about it i value getting that 32 inch brown trout who's hanging out under a cut bank to hit my woolly bugger really hard and then he has no structure to go to where he can wrap himself around a log and snap my line off that's what i value and i think that's what haven life is going to deliver to me right Yes. And now he can
0: delete uh cell 16 a or market is used. It's actually your loved ones in your time, but imagine being out fishing
3: yeah, the, with your loved ones. Yeah. They're not as good as that 32 inch brown trout, but okay, let's roll with it. Let's see what they've got to offer me. It's
0: why they made buying quality term life insurance. Actually simple. You go to com slash Haven life. Now you get a free quote. You can hit pause because this is important peeps. You want to stackers get your life insurance in order application simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision, affordable prices, and they're not some little company. They actually are backed by a company. That's more than 160 years old, uh, mass mutual today. We want to shine a spotlight on our Facebook group, the basement, because not only do OG and I sometimes chime in, but you get the collective wisdom of the community. And Jenna asked this one, what we thought was a great question. She said, do you spend or save your HSA dollars? Jenna asks, Oh gee, we're a family of four with two kids under five, one with asthma. And as a result, she ends up in the ER, the hospital once or twice a year. We max out our HSA for the tax benefit, but I also use it to pay off our out-of-pocket medical expenses. We could very easily pay this with post-tax funds, what should stackers do? So does she use the after-tax funds and leave the money invested or does she spend those dollars?
1: Well, there's two sides to it. One is the complexity of keeping track of all of the expenses that you're accumulating into the future. Because the purpose of an HSA is to reimburse you for out-of-pocket medical costs. If you don't have those in the same year, then you have to hang on to them for future years, which is totally fine to do. In fact, a lot of people do that. But if you're 30... And you're thinking about keeping your HSA until you're 60 and you want to accumulate all of those healthcare expenses so that you can make one big giant distribution or several years worth of distributions out of your HSA in retirement, perfectly fine to do, but you have to keep records of all of that. So sometimes it's a little bit more difficult to to kind of do in practice than it is, you know, in theory or on paper. Is there an age where if
0: you keep it past that age, you don't need the records anymore, you can just go ahead and take the money out?
1: I think the number is 65, right? Or is that what you're trying to get to? Yeah. Like I after 65, not, you I, can I, take money I just, out.
0: I just didn't offhand have the thing open that said exactly what the age is, but I think it is yeah.
1: 65. Yeah, 65. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, is it better to save money than spend It's kind of the broad question here. And the answer is, yeah, you should save it. So if you can afford to do both, then you would do both. But, But also don't discount the fact that you have the opportunity to pay your healthcare expenses with pre tax money basically. So that's a fine solution too, you know, depending on where you are. Even if you are stretched for cash, I think that you put the money in the HSA and take it right back out throughout the year, you know, just to save the extra twelve or twenty five percent of taxes on those out of pocket costs. So if you can't keep it in there forever, that's okay too. You know, there's no right or wrong way to do this. Well
0: you also find that uh some years you might be able to you know, one problem I have uh, is they will damage their health, OG, because they think that they can take one for the team today to save some money tomorrow. Don't do that. Get the healthy stuff you need. Get yourself taken yeah, care of. Sure. Don't worry about the tax. That that beautiful tax treatment ain't going to be there if you're not there, if you're not around to get it.
1: That's right.
0: Thanks for the question, Jenna. She posted that in the basement, stackybenjamins.com slash basement gets you the direct way there. We'll have a link on our website that just takes you to the Facebook group. You answer a few questions like you're not going to spam us. We're not going to talk politics and you'll find a great group of people. And we brought it up this week because the fact we've had a couple people lately go, I didn't know there was a group. So we do have a group where stackers all hang out there as well as our newsletter, the 201, which will come out tomorrow and you'll get deep dives into all the topics we talked about today. Many, many more links. So if you want to go down any of these rabbit holes further, uh, Brooke Miller, our fantastic uh, former CFP who writes the most of the 201 has got you covered. Well, great news, stackers. We hit the road next week on my stacked book tour. I wrote a book called Stacked: Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. And the cool thing is, OG and Doug have agreed to come on some parts of the tour, and man, if you are in Dallas on the first, if you're in Austin on the second, or you are in Houston on the third, you've got all of us. Sign up at com slash stacked, and uh, you can have OG bark at you too, like he does to Doug and I on a regular basis. Imagine that. I'd love to do it. Having OG
3: surliness right in your face.
1: Get a stern talking yeah, and to. And Joe,
3: let me just give you, as a professional influencer, let me just help coach you on that. I think you phrased that wrong. You you said if you're in Dallas on and, and Austin, just pivot that a little bit and say, get yourself to Dallas on the first. Get yourself to Austin on the second. Y-ta. People will just show up. They'll hear that, and they'll just book their plane tickets.
0: Yeah, that that really is key cuz you'll get OG and Doug. But wait, there's more. I will possibly be coming to a city near you later with maybe OG, maybe Doug, maybe our co-author uh, Emily, but in every city we're inviting all the influencers we know locally. So speaking of influencers, all the financial personalities that have been on the show, we're inviting them all. And we've gotten some great people to come out later in the week. I'll be in San Francisco on Saturday, the following week in San Diego. We've got Len Penzo joining us OG in San Diego. And then on the 8th uh, in Los Angeles, he'll also be there before we say goodbye to you. And I have for Portland on the 9th and Seattle on the 10th. Details at stackybedjamins.com slash stacked. But if you're not here for a book tour You're not here for influence. You're here because like we mentioned earlier in our headline segment, you need to think bigger about your money. OG and his team are taking clients and really it's not about what you know. It's about what you do. And if you need somebody to help you get that plan implemented, head to stackingbenjamins.com slash OG. And that's the link to him and his team to help you think bigger and do more with those goals. All right. That wraps it up for today. Coming up on Friday, Friday shows are always live on the Fireside app. It's a live produced show. You never know what's going to happen on a Friday. It's a little bit uh, <laughs> looser, pretty fun uh, roundtable discussions on uh, popular stuff. Some of us are looser. We're talking all, all, things, all things fun on, on Friday. Doug might be particularly loose this Friday, but uh, we will uh, we'll hopefully see you uh, back here on Friday. All right. Doug, you got it from here, man. What
3: should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, anyone can influence others, even if you're not a Kardashian. How are you using influence as your superpower? Second, even if you fail at something, you might just be on your way to being the best in the world at something else, just like Dale Carnegie. (laughs) The big lesson? It's not easy being an influencer. Do you have any idea how hard it is to make it look like I have a thigh gap? Thanks to Zoe Chance for joining us today. You will go buy her book, Influences Your Superpower, wherever you're influenced to buy books. I see what you did there. I did it. Slipped it right in. Take notes. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch, with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time.
0: Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens in the after show stays in the after show. If you have to write about the after show or mention it on social media, which has happened from time to time, you can call it dessert. That's okay. But uh, please do not let on that we have this little secret area. Normally. I'm so excited to be part of the secret after show. (laughs) Well, now you gave it away, Zoe. I was about to reintroduce you. Normally, our featured guest is not part of the after show. <laughs> but Zoe Chance is here and you brought up something that I'm very passionate about, which is you brought up to me making a podcast that's bingeable. So why are you interested in that? First of all, why did you even bring that up? Because I have no idea. You're like, I want to talk about making a podcast bingeable.
2: Yeah. So I I was doing my secret sleuthing before talking with you because My goal before I have a conversation with someone, any kind of meeting is that I would like to be ready to like them when I meet them. So I need to know about them, whatever I can sleuth online. And one of the things that I learned about you that just really sparked my attention is that you've been coaching some other podcasters on how to make a podcast binge worthy. This is such a holy grail of anybody who's creating content Podcast shows anything like this, but I had never heard it framed that way. So I loved that framing for your coaching. I was thinking about it and thinking, I have no idea what it would be. But when I listened to your show, I told you earlier that personal finance isn't in my wheelhouse. It's something like I tried to be sort of good about it, but I'd never have listened to a personal finance podcast. So I just wasn't expecting to enjoy your show. And then I listened to multiple episodes and had a blast because it's so much fun. So I felt like you do have this special sauce down because you got me to do that. (laughs) So I wanted to know, what is it? What are you doing?
0: Zoe, stop, stop, keep going. Stop, keep going. Stop, keep going. (laughs) Yes, please. No, uh, thank you. You know, I think there is, have you ever read? There's a great book called The E-Myth. The E-Myth is a fantastic book and it's the entrepreneurship myth which is why most small businesses fail and what to do about it. Most small businesses fail because not because of the fact that they are failures and they stink at what they do. It's because they're too good at what they do. And they focus on that instead of focusing on building a business. And if you think about the business of podcasting, I think that sometimes podcasters think too much about the business of podcasting instead of the business of how do I get people to listen to more of my stuff that was actually the first question for me was how do I get somebody to finish an episode? Because that's my favorite thing. Like, I mean, I'm a big fan of podcasts. I don't know about you, but when I get done with a podcast, there's nothing more thrilling than going, I can't wait until the next one's out. Or seeing on my app, the fact that X podcast has a new one and that feeling of delight that I get to actually listen to the next one, you know, like we do with I did with The Mandalorian when when it was out, you know? Me too. I love sci <laughs> Yes. And Baby Yoda. Well, I could not love Baby Yoda. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I was so happy to see that in Boba Fett, which I thought was very difficult at the start, like at the end, all of a sudden, The Mandalorian's there and Baby Yoda's back and I and loved it. Just thought it was so good. But I think that like anything, I try to take lessons from other areas outside podcasting i love austin cleon and austin cleon's book steal like an artist about remix it make it your own and take things that people connect these synapses that people don't normally connect and i look at like a disney theme park and in the beginning at a disney theme park it is very upbeat and happy and we're going on an adventure if you just listen to the musical soundtrack that's playing as you walk in and at the end of the day it's very soothing and comforting and you just want to linger and hang out just a little bit more like I've been at the theme park before and it's, it's closing time and I just don't want the day to end I want to stay there just a little longer so they changed the lighting they changed the musical tone so believe it or not one of the small things that we did was put music at the beginning of the show that is very much tonight show-ish and very hey we're going to have a good time we're going to have these segments this is going to be fun also because most financial shows are all about giving you tips and we're not. We're about financial surround sound and just making this idea fun. We stole that from Car Talk, if you're familiar with Car Talk. I, I love Car Talk, too. Yeah, yeah, and I don't learn crap about a car, Zoe. <laughs> like, listening yeah, to me car, neither. No. Yeah. Yeah.
2: No, I don't care about
0: cars either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Car Talk. But I'll listen yeah. to that, and that is our goal. We have the ukulele music at the end with what should we have learned today, and much more soothing, much more fun, much more let's just linger a little longer. So even that piece, we tried, and even this segment, right? The fact that we have an Easter egg at the end of every show, for me, when I have heard shows that have done this in the past, it just, you know, people that wanted the tips, the people that wanted to hear Zoe chants, they heard your interview 20 minutes ago, Zoe, and they're gone. And that's fine. But this part of the show is for people like me that just want to hang out just a little longer with my friends. Let's just do that. And then that's what I want to binge. Like when I get to the end of the show, the part that I haven't done well I really want to do more of the Aaron Sorkin thing that he nailed so much on West Wing, which was the show usually opens in the morning and it's a fast-paced White House. And it usually ends at night with soothing music and they're sitting around and they're contemplating all this stuff that happened during the episode. And I just get this feeling that I want to experience this day again, like the the sunrise-sunset kind of thing that he does. I just want to explore that more. So... I don't know. And, and you, you know and part of it is a note that you make in your book. You were talking about people doing something and this is from early in the book and it really is trial and error, you know? It's continue trying and just try and try and try and you have to experiment. And so we keep experimenting with is this bingeable? Is this bingeable? We found a lot of things that aren't bingeable. <laughs>
2: Do you remember any of those?
0: I remember when we tried to add too much sound design to our shows. (laughs) And I will tell you, we got hella negative feedback immediately. Which by the way, for us was a very positive thing. I feel very strongly that Sound if, design is hard. Well, that and if people feel strong enough to give you very severe feedback, they they like what you do and you have established this connection that you don't want to violate, you know?
2: Oh, I love that. By the way, I've been taking so many notes during our whole conversation that this one and the <laughs> early piece. So
0: I was she keeps writing stuff for people that aren't watching the videos always. Zoe's been busy writing stuff. She's like, this guy is weird. I'm not sure what we're doing here. Yes. What are your notes about? I'm curious what you're thinking.
2: I've just been writing down things that I want to remember. Like you made book recommendations earlier on. And this whole idea of the Disney theme park analogy and West Wing, the Easter egg. Um, I'm just starting to process and percolate how I could be thinking about this kind of trajectory in the classes and workshops that I teach as well. I care so much about people's experience and about their attention, getting their attention, re-engaging their attention, what happens at the beginning of the class, what happens at the end of the class. But I love the idea of the sunrise to sunset kind of thing and starting on a peppy note and ending on a more deep, sweet, soulful, intimate and connected note. And I've just never thought about it that way. And I think that often I start with a peppy note. I I play music at the beginning of class and, you know, start with something thought provoking or funny or whatever it is. But then often it just kind of unravels at the end. And I'm like, and hey, so here's your homework for next time. <laughs> <See ya. laughs> so I want to do better at the sunset part.
0: You know, it makes me think about something else. Clearly, you're already successful at it because of the success of your class. And I'm wondering how much of that is the fact that you're not just a professor, that you're still a student of it. You know, there's a show that was just on Netflix that stars, oh, man, the woman who's the star from Killing Eve. She's fantastic. Um, but she's the chair of a department at an oh, Ivy League.
2: Sandra O. Oh. Yes, yeah, Sandra O. Oh, I haven't seen the show, but it's called The Faculty or something? Yeah.
0: You know, you have half the faculty that's really engaged, and you have part of the faculty that's checked out. <laughs> and I'm just wondering if the part that's still engaged, even in that show, which is fiction, I feel like the professors that are really engaged, is because they're still a student, and they're still learning this stuff.
2: Oh, 100%. This is such a great frame perspective mindset to have when you're going to a meeting or a talk, especially if you're expecting that it's going to be boring for you and your brain is going to want to check out. That's when work-life balance comes into play where you feel like, oh God, I'm at work. This is not life. I feel dead inside. The solution is to change your mindset and have a different goal. So my goal when I go to for example any talk or boring meeting that I'm not already excited about is just what can I learn? And so that has just seeped in to my nerdy brain for life where unconsciously I'm just asking all the time, what can I learn? And you know and then it's great when I get to directly ask advice from somebody who knows really well how to do something really cool that I'm already interested in. So I was just selfishly excited (laughs) for the opportunity to learn about influence from you. Well, no, I just got the- I used to want to have a podcast. I see what goes into it now and I could never hack it. It is so much work. (laughs)
0: It is way more work than people think, but you could definitely do it. And I think you'd have a great show. But you did just solve an equation for me, which is that what Zoe really thought everybody was that it's a finance podcast. It's going to be boring. How do I change my mindset so that I I can get through this time with Joe? That's
2: really what's going on. No, I was super excited to talk with you after I heard it. Before, though, I was like, oh, my God, how... Like, I don't know why Joe is even wanting to talk with me. And I don't know what (laughs) I can tell people about personal finance. Like, I'm not that great at it myself.
0: Oh, our stackers Um, will tell you. So
2: anyway. But but just
0: the amount of not just money, but we talk about the value in life is in connections. Money is just another fuel to connections. And the way that you're able to connect people is is incredible. But anyway. Thank you.
2: Well, thanks. I do want to help people have lots and lots of money.
0: That <laughs> Thanks a lot, Zoe.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much, Joe.
0: Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family.